we find ourselves between two series. We've just finished a, a, a challenging and encouraging sh- series on Jeremiah chapter 29, just challenging us to be as citizens of heaven, to be even a, a, a more impactful citizens of earth. And how do we improve the way that we relate to culture, the way we relate to our city, our nation, and, and how do we th- even think about home, whether it's Joburg, Cape Town, or wherever else in the world. And as of next week, we're starting our lead up into Christmas series. And uh, just while we talk about our Christmas series, this is an incredible opportunity for you to be thinking about prayerfully who you can invite into this. Uh, please don't see Christmas as one of those things that kind of real Christmas happens at home around the table, and this is just one of those things you do religiously. Rather, man, we, we are celebrating a real moment where God entered history, and we want to unpack leading into Christmas just how powerful that moment was and how real it was to us. And so here's a moment as people are thinking about Christmas, and a lot of people spent a lot of money on Friday, but a lot more money is going to be spent as people think forward to Christmas, and yet we are still in many ways open to Christmas. So that kind of left us with an open day. What are we going to speak about today? And so I thought, well, maybe we can go into the book of Ezekiel, or we can go into, you know, Jesus' second coming and some of the debates around that. And I thought maybe that is a bit too big a bite to chew off in one day. I really wasn't serious about that. Um, and, and, And the Lord just laid on my heart something that's for you that he's actually been working very in a very real way, in a very real present way with me. Now, I don't often like to do that because uh, I, I want to hear for the Lord for me and I also want to hear for the Lord for you. But sometimes he says, well, take what's happening here and also bring that encouragement to the church as well. So that's what today is going to be about. Now, I don't need to tell you how we live in a chronically negative world. And I know from our stage, we go on and on and on about how media and social media really kind of skews our perception of reality. There's a number of reasons that happens. The one is that fake news always outclicks real news. And hate and fear is always going to outclick positivity. And so when we're online, that just simply means we are going to be exposed to many things that are partially true or even flat out untrue. And the trajectory of what we're exposed to is always going to be to towards your fears because that's quite literally how social media works. That's quite literally how they get their clicks out of you. And so we're being exposed to this negativity. But, but the negativity in our lives didn't start off with social media. It started when you were younger, right? It started off when you're in primary school and you weren't picked for the team. And then you got to high school and... She said no to you, but yes to your mate. All right, and, and maybe you had a voice of a parent or a voice of a teacher telling you that you're not enough, telling you you're never going to amount to anything, telling you that you're just a waste of space on planet Earth. Then, you know, uh, it used to be back in the day that we could have a general sense that maybe I'm unpopular. These days we can quantify it. So if you go on social media, you can quantify it by how many clicks, how many likes, and how many followers you have. And so you can put up a photo of you in a dress and get 20 likes, and your friend can put up a similar photo in a very similar dress and get 50 likes. And all of this accumulates in our lives to really make us feel unworthy 
and to really allow us to walk through planet Earth feeling like there is more evil and more negativity out there than encouragement and positivity. Maybe some of you find yourselves in a very discouraging marriage. Maybe your work situation or your, your bosses, it, it creates a discouraging environment for you at work. Maybe some of you are just in a discouraging financial space. And for that reason, you're here this morning just so desperate and so thirsty for something that's going to speak life into those spaces. And so this morning's message is not going to be about how we change those situations. But rather, this morning's message is going to be about how you and I get to use our words and our voices to speak encouragement into other people's lives who desperately need it. And when I speak about those who desperately need it, don't just think about the five or six people here who are really going through a tough time. I mean, if you're breathing this morning, you need encouragement. I can guarantee you that. And the way God is going to encourage you and the way God's word is going to encourage us to encourage each other is that he uses you to be an encouragement to the people around you. So let's see how he does that. We're going to be looking just at one verse today, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 29. Ephesians 4, verses 29, feel free to turn there, put a thumb in there, underline that, uh, bold it, just make sure that it's, it's looking at you very clearly out of your Bibles. But Ephesians 4, 29 says this, it says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only, and this is the part we're focusing on today, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So this verse, just unpacking very quickly, do not let unwholesome talk come over your mouth. And I think that refers to a whole wide variety of unwholesome things. But if we think about today's topic, it could be also those ways that we are discouraging to one another, those ways that we break each other down. And instead, instead of letting those things come out of our mouths, we need to use our words to build one another up according to their needs so that it would benefit them. Now, growing up as a kid, I was always surrounded by that song that some of you still know. Sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never harm me. And you know that's the biggest lie on the planet, right? I mean, if you think about your own life and your own pains and your own arguments and your own difficulties, some of you have needed to go to counseling. I can say that almost everyone I've had for counseling or needed to refer to some more professional counseling it is not true that sticks and stones will break the bones, but words will not harm them because words have harmed them. And yes, there are often actions that harm them as well, but words have been used to break and not to build. Words have been used to harm instead of to heal. And not only in some sort of recent context, but words starting right back as a child, discouraging words, a discouraging environment, a lack of, of encouraging and affirming words. And when we grow up in this kind of space, we build adults who are deeply wounded and broken and often don't know it because they haven't had this environment that helps us thrive and encourages us to, to trust God for all that he has for us. Some of you, maybe it's even one step further, some of you are in an environment of criticism. Maybe you're in a very critical marriage Maybe you've got a very critical boss. 
I love how Craig Rochelle puts it. He says, have you ever met a critical person you want to be like? Right? And the answer is no. So words have the power to break or to build or to harm or to heal. The scriptures speak very clearly into this. The book of Proverbs says this, the tongue has the power of life or death. This little thing between your teeth has the power to create and to generate life. We were just reminded yesterday at the men's breakfast morning that Jesus is one of his kind of, the ways he's described, he's a life-giving spirit. But in the same way, we get to use our words to bring life to one another. Or that very same tongue can be used to bring death. Now the proverb, Proverbs 10 verse 20 says, the words of the reckless pierce like swords. Haven't you felt that? But the tongue of the wise brings healing. So reckless thoughts, reckless words do damage. And even if it's unintentional damage, when we're unintentional and unthoughtful about how our words are used, that's what reckless means. So often they land up bringing damage, whereas the wise, those who are intentional, those who are filled and saturated with God's heart, their words, this very same mouth is gonna bring healing. And then we land up becoming our own worst enemies, right? We've got the voices out there and then we've got the voices in here. And so often the voices in here are shaped by the voices out there, especially as we were growing up. But so often, I mean, I can tell you, and, and, and I promise you, I don't need counseling for this and I don't need your pity for this, but there's not a sermon or a, a worship set that I walk off the stage going, nailed it. Not that I ever think I should, maybe they'd be full of pride, but I'm like, oh man, God. Shouldn't have said it that way. Or, man, I, I should have said that part better. Or man, I, I left out a whole section over there. What an idiot, all right? And there's a self-talk. And, and I think all of us can identify with that. We're the voices in us, the critical voice that speaks to us. And I think the enemy comes in and he hops onto that and he, he kicks us when we down. And so the voice in here is often as bad, if not worse, than the voices out there just making it even more dire for us to receive encouragement in our lives. And then we come together on a day like this or carols next week or we get together on, uh, in our life groups or we get together over coffee. And because we're a Riverside community, I think we genuinely love each other. And so we've got to like keep you guys down on a Sunday because you're so excited, you want to have so many conversations and, and you genuinely want to see each other. But here's the thing, while there's all this excitement and we're catching up and what happened over the course of this week, it's not too far below the surface that we have these needs, this discouragement that we're carrying around with us that is in desperate need for some encouragement. And so this morning is going to be how you become an opportunity for somebody else to receive encouragement. And so this verse says, this verse says that we should not let this unwholesome talk come out of our mouth, but only what is helpful. So it has to be helpful what we say for building others up. We've got to build them up according to their need so that it benefits them. As you can see, God's heart of encouragement is so much more than just a, a pat on the back or a thumbs up emoji. Because we need to, at some level, understand their needs. We need to understand this person's needs versus this person's needs so that when I choose to speak words into their life, it builds them up 
which is going to be very different to how different words are going to build somebody else up and benefit them. Earlier this year, um, we had a car which we eventually just had to get rid of, but um, it really just started uh, slowly degrading and getting to the point where it was getting pretty much pretty useless. So I'm not very handy with cars, so the, I thought, well, let me do what I can do before I start paying somebody else to do what they can do. So I just did a very basic service, you know, oil, water, air filter, those kinds of things, uh, you know, clean the car, and I just try to get some of the, the dust out of the engine, you know, get driving again. Did anything change? No. So after having tried this kind of superficial response to this car's needs, had to take it to somebody else, but of like a backyard guy who has really helped us a lot, he took one look at it and he realized, man, this is beyond what I can do. So he took it to somebody else. This person took a look at it and said, man, there's a lot going on here. And I don't have the expertise to bring healing or, or to build this back up. And then we finally had to go to somebody else who did know how to take this whole thing apart and fix it and heal it and bring it back up to the point where it was running. And here's my point. We've all got these areas of need and discouragement and brokenness in our lives. And so often when we come into a community like this and we have these needs, whether you're aware of them or not, this verse is saying that encouragement only really happens when other people's words can get into that place of our need. where those words can build me up according to my needs. And so we need to be working out, how do I understand this person's needs? What are this person's needs? And therefore, how do I use my words to speak life into their particular needs? And, and like with my car, often superficial encouragement doesn't penetrate too far. I'm not saying don't stop the pat on the back. I'm not saying stop the thumbs up. I'm not saying stop, you know, well done, great job. But we need to recognize that's not genuine biblical encouragement. Because just like me trying to sort my car out with a quick wash and a basic service didn't really get to the point of need. So how do we nurture this kind of environment where we can bring our needs out, Right? And the response of the community around us can speak life into those needs. But that brings us to another problem that we regularly experience. And that is because of the discouragements we've received, very often starting right from when we were children, words have been used, primary school, high school, all over the show, words have been used to break us down. And so what do we do? We put up a mask, and that mask serves to protect me from harmful words. And then I also project a person who is not in need. And, and, and the irony is, while I have this deep discouragement and this deep need for encouragement, the very mask that I put up to protect me from hurtful and harmful words prevents real encouraging words from penetrating deep enough to actually hit the heart where it's hurting and then my mask relates to your mask. Our needs are never known, and we, therefore we don't have the right words to encourage each other. And we can so often land up with an environment that literally makes encouragement impossible. And then the irony is we can actually have a very nice environment, a very superficially friendly environment that makes genuine encouragement impossible. 
And so how do we nurture an environment where we can let our guard down, where we don't have to fear rejection, but the masks can come off and we can be completely ourselves, where we can make our needs known and therefore position ourselves to be in a place where other people's words can actually penetrate where they are most needed. This is why I love the potential of life groups. And for the last year, for those of you who are in life groups, we know that we've just been moving into the space more and more. I know for some of you, it's a very uncomfortable thing to be asked questions, not just about the sermon, not just about the Bible, but what's going on in your life. And I know some of you have kind of been kind of like sticking your toes in the water in Cape Town. It's like, that's enough for me. But can you see the point of why we're trying to do this? The point of why once a month we try and get guys with guys and girls with girls. And let's get real. Let's get the masks off and let's, let's talk about it in a community, not for shame, but for healing. To create space where your needs are being made known and it empowers those others around you to literally be God encouraging you. And that's one of my many dreams for our life group ministry. But something else often happens in our encouraging good will is that we encourage people not according to their needs, we encourage people according to our needs. So we encourage people according to our need to be heard. We encourage people because I want to compliment back. We want to feel needed. Or we have some sort of messianic savior complex. And this verse says that we're not to be, we need to be laying down our needs so that when I encourage you from a place of love and it's a place of using my words to build you up according to your needs. The scriptures say when we do this, God himself is actually using you to encourage somebody else. Now, I know you think, you look at people on the stage, be it pastors, elders, worship leaders, or you switch on the TV and you see pastors and evangelists and hyper-spiritual people. And I know that that's, you think, oh, they don't need encouragement. I mean, they just sit in the presence of God for hours on end and they're just like encouraged straight from heaven. And let me tell you, that's not true. Uh, the Apostle Paul, I mean, we're talking about the Apostle Paul wrote most of the New Testament, planted churches, right? We're still trying to figure out everything that he said. He's a complex guy, but really represented God in so many ways on planet Earth. And there were many times in the life of the Apostle Paul when he was extremely discouraged. One of those moments is in 2 Corinthians 7, 5. Where Paul describes his discouragements, he says, for when we came to Macedonia, just a part of the Middle East there, this body of ours had no rest. He was physically tired, physically burdened, but we were harassed at every turn. In other words, no rest. We arrived somewhere, we were harassed. And then he describes this harassment like this. Conflicts on the outside, fears within. The Apostle Paul I'm harassed at every turn. My body's giving in. Conflicts on the outside, fears within. Now, how many of you like, Stephen, that's my new life verse? Because that's exactly what life feels like right now. Conflicts on the outside, fears within. And so if you're feeling like that this morning, part of my encouragement to you is 
don't let that make you feel like a bad Christian. Rather, just join the club, right? And the Apostle Paul is the chairman of that club to welcome you in to the club of discouragements, conflict on the outside, and fears within. And so Paul needed encouragement. And so how did God encourage him? Well, that comes up in the next verse. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. So there's Paul's God up in heaven saying, here's my son who needs some encouragement. And I'm not just gonna beam it down through the clouds. I'm gonna send Titus. I'm gonna send a human being. I'm gonna send someone who has their own needs of discouragement, but I'm gonna send this person to use their words and their presence to encourage the Apostle Paul. And Paul could have said, oh, coincidence. I was having a bad time. Titus came, we had good times. No, the Apostle Paul realized God was behind this. And therefore, as Titus came with his presence and his words to encourage me, Paul was recognizing God himself was encouraging me through this guy. A few weeks ago, I was just in a season where I was wrestling with this and I just realized, Lord, I've just been made so aware how deeply I'm in need of encouragement. And again, that's not a, a plea to you guys. I promise you. And I prayed a prayer that morning. I said, Lord, and, and I had my phone on airplane mode because just by the way, uh, word to the wise, devotion time, phone's on airplane mode. All right, just, it works, okay? So phone on airplane mode and I'm praying and I'm saying, Lord, I, I'm just asking you to encourage me today. I don't know what I'm asking for. I don't know what that means, but I'm praying. I ask that you encourage me today. A few minutes later, switch my phone back off airplane mode. And literally a few minutes time, an SMS comes in. Past a friend of mine and, and this particular guy, we, we don't really see each other very often, maybe twice a year. And if I'm honest, he's not the first person I think of when I think of an encouraging person. Not because he's discouraging. It just, that's our relationship, all right? So I turn on my phone, I see his text from him. He was busy spending some time in the Word preparing for a sermon that day. He came across a verse and as he read this verse, he was like, you know what? This verse is Steve. Steve lives out this verse. And so he texts me. He says, hey, Steve, I was just preparing in the Word this morning. God showed me that you are living out this verse, and I want to encourage you and thank you for that. Now, nine times out of ten, I would have been, oh, cool, thanks, bro. That day, I was like, Lord, my God is encouraging me. And he sent a friend to encourage me. Now, I know I need this in my life, but I also know that you need this in your life, right? This, by the way, is one of the main reasons we meet, whether it be large groups like this or small groups or around coffee, is to encourage each other. Listen to this verse that you may have heard many times, Hebrews 10, verses 24 to 25 and let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another. 
You know, that's Paul saying that gathering together regularly in large and small groups is, is not about a roll call. It's not about brownie points with God. It's so that we can consider ways to spur one another on towards love and good deeds and that we can find ways to use our words to encourage one another. And because you need it and I need it, we need each other. And in that way, we allow God's encouraging presence to saturate us as a community. And so if we can nurture this environment where we can let our masks down, we can be known, let our needs known, suddenly others can speak words of life into us. But, and I, I, and I know this to be true because I've also been there, if our main reason for coming to church on a Sunday morning is not to spur one another on to love and good deeds and to encourage one another, but you're like, oh, yeah, I suppose it's been a couple of weeks, uh, I may as well go to church today. Or like, yeah, the wife today really wants me to go to church. Or I hope the preaching is better than last week. Or I hope the sound is better than last week. Or I've got nothing better to do. I may as well go. Or at least there's sports in the afternoons. If that's what's going on in our hearts as we're sitting in places such as this, no wonder that so many people go home and leave our life groups with as much discouragements as they walked in with. And so I want to give us all just four brief, very practical thoughts. If you're taking notes, I encourage you to write these down as to how we, considering ourselves as part of Christ's church, can encourage each other with our words. And the first thought is this, to encourage each other intentionally. To encourage each other intentionally. I love how Paul says, consider ways to do this. We need to come in and go, wow, I really need to be thoughtful about this. I need to be prayerful about this. I need to be seeing who these people are who are around me. What are their needs and how do I intentionally find words to encourage them? And the reason why we have to be so intentional about it, I don't know how you're wired, but for those of you who are parents or have been parents, you know that most of the words that come out of our mouths tend to be on the discouraging side. Why do you pack the dishwasher like that? Why are you not tying your shoelaces? Why are you late? What's going on? Why is your hair so messy? Have you brushed your teeth? And I've read a number of times that stats kind of show that for every critical, harsh word that we say to our children, we need to outweigh it with 10 encouraging words. And I don't, I don't get that right. And to be honest, I don't have stats to prove this. I don't think that changes as we're adults. And so if we are going to go beyond what are our normal routines and our normal ruts, we need to be incredibly intentional because our words matter and we have the power to discourage or to encourage. So number one, we're going to encourage intentionally. Number two, we're going to encourage watchfully. Now there may be those moments where you're just like, whoa, you see someone, you beeline for them and you just find a way to encourage them. But so often it's going to actually come up over coffee. It's going to come up while you're driving. And as you're driving, you hear a song and someone's my, uh, uh, name comes into your mind. Now don't just leave it there. Pick up the phone. Hey man, I was listening to the song. You came to mind. I just want to encourage you with these words. Or like this friend of mine, you're reading a verse of scripture, somebody else in your life group, their name comes to mind. Or you're having a conversation and you see somehow the Lord shows you a place of need, or the person just tells you, here is my need, and then you start praying, Lord, 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 I want to encourage. 
How do I speak life into this need so that I can build them up so that it benefits them according to their needs? And so we're gonna encourage watchfully and as, as we grow in our awareness of others and their needs, opportunities will, guaranteed, will present themselves for you to encourage one another, choosing the best words to encourage them. Larry Crabb, he's a Christian psychologist. He writes this about encouragement. He says, encouragement is not a technique to be mastered. It is a sensitivity to people and a confidence in God that must be nourished and demonstrated. So we nourish a sensitivity to others. We nourish a confidence in God that God can meet our needs in Christ Jesus. And then we demonstrate that. One step at a time, one word at a time. And so we encourage watchfully. And the number three, we encourage to build because we need to build one another up according to their, their needs, right? And so just a few practical thoughts about that. Don't just encourage what the person has done. Encourage who they are. So you can say, hey, son, great shots. Or you can say, you know what? God has really gifted you in this. Or you can say, hey, worship leader, you know, great song today. Or you can say, do you know how God used you to bless me today? And so we start affirming the God-given value in these people, not just the things that they have done. And let me tell you, they might seem like a small thing to you. But that is such power to build and to generate genuine encouragements. One of the best little tools, here's another tool for you, to build people up according to their needs. It's a tool that I read in a book years ago, and it is a tool made out of four alphabetical letters, four, four letters, capital letters. I just want you to picture an I, capital I, capital C, right? Capital N, am I doing it the right way for you? Capital N, whatever. Capital U. I just say that out loud. I see in you. I see in you. Now, number one, for you to let those words come out your mouth, you need to have given that some thoughts, some prayer, some intention. You're gonna have to have looked past the masks. You're gonna have to have looked past maybe some of the rough edges. You're gonna have to have maybe have asked God, show me the value in this person. Show me what you see. And then you get to open your mouth and say, I see in you a golden heart. I see in you someone of courage. I see in you someone who God wants to use to bless many people. And suddenly there's a weightiness to our words, right? And so this is so much more than a compliment. Because a compliment can often just be about the ego. And it's not saying it's only about the ego, but it can often be about the ego. This is to build people up. And so if we're going to encourage to build what matters is not just what we say, but why we say it. And so we're going to encourage intentionally, we're going to encourage watchfully, we're going to encourage to build, and finally, we're going to encourage towards God. Now again, here's another example of someone who we see as a strong spiritual leader, someone who maybe never needed encouragement and yet we see time and time again how desperately discouraged they were and how in need they were of encouragement. 
And this is the King David, all right? In, in the Old Testament, in 1 Samuel, we see a time where David was for, for m- many months fleeing from the king and his armies, literally for his life. And he was going from place to place trying to hide himself and his people. And every time he heard news of Saul's armies are going there, he needed to go there. At one stage, he found himself in a little town in the deserts. Now, a weird little scenario, um, Saul wanted to kill David, but David's best friend was Saul's son. And so in 1 Samuel 23, verses 16, Saul's son, Jonathan, went to David at Horish. this is his town, and he helped him to find strength in God. Some of your translations say he encouraged him in the Lord. Because ultimately, a genuine, powerful word of encouragement is not going to be a transfer of some mojo from you to this person, but where God Himself uses you to encourage this person. And so the more we can encourage this person that goes way beyond pats on the back and way beyond kind of mild compliments, but actually I'm moving you towards the God and I'm moving you towards how God has made you and I'm encouraging you in the Lord. That's where our real strength is. Now I mentioned to you earlier that this is a live issue for me because I realized, the Lord had to kind of really open my eyes to see this, that I'm not a very encouraging person. That's my confession to you. And I realized that I'm not, I'm so task orientated. I'm not regularly stopping to consider how I can use my words, not just to get a job done, but to build people up according to their needs so that it benefits them. And if you don't know this about me, I'm reading all the time. And when it comes to what I do, I'm constantly reading and I'm constantly exposing myself to the best leadership stuff out there so that I'm, I'm sharpening the edge of my life when it comes to leadership, when it comes to parenting, when it comes to preaching, when it comes to just being a man in this world. But as I was brought to this particular moment, I realized, wow, probably one of the single biggest, most effective things that I can do in order to become a better pastor, preacher, leader, husband, father, human being is to become an encouraging pastor, an encouraging leader, an encouraging father, an encouraging husband, and quite simply an encouraging human being. And if I'm honest, I think we would all benefit if we all decided to make that move in our lives. Encouraging teachers, according to this definition of encouragement. Encouraging moms. Encouraging business owners. Encouraging CEOs. Encouraging employees. Encouraging employers. Encouraging students. Encouraging people on a team. Man, oh man, how can we take this God that we believe in and bring such a change to the people around us? And so I want to pray this morning that God would take this, and I know this is on my heart almost every sermon, in fact, every sermon. Take this beyond just a good sermon, even if it is or isn't, whatever. 
Take it to the point where he's speaking. And we're hearing. We're responding. We're repenting. And we're choosing to be wise with our words. And we're choosing to speak life, not death. We're choosing to go beyond platitudes. We're choosing to become vulnerable. We're choosing to speak courageously because we trust our God into other people's vulnerabilities. Not giving them advice, but giving them encouragement. When those moments comes in our sons and daughters' lives that we regularly start saying, I see in you. We start building them up in the kingdom. And I don't care whether you're an extrovert or an introvert or a thoughtful person or you consider yourself an unthoughtful person. Every single one of us can do this. So let us pray. Father God, I'm so deeply aware that if we're sitting here this morning, we are in need of encouragement. I'm so deeply aware, Lord, that if you gave me a lens to see the discouragement in our lives, my heart would be broken. And so, Father, I'm asking that you sovereignly encourage us as a body, personally and powerfully, that you place those in desperate need of encouragement, you place their names on other people's hearts. You give neighbors and, 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 and friends and people in our life group and our ministry teams, or maybe even colleagues who, who we never even knew that God can use them in this way in our lives, that you give them the words that are gonna deeply encourage us and it's gonna come from you. Father, at the same time, I pray that you'd give us the conviction to be an encouragement to others. And I know, Lord, that means going beyond the niceties of community. That means being exposed to needs and fears and pain, disappointments. And that means us having the courage to speak life. That, Lord, you'd give us wisdom. You'd grow us in this. That as we take tentative steps of encouragement, that we suddenly start seeing you at work in the people's lives around us. And that people in this room get so surprised by, Lord, you used me to encourage this person. Just gives us greater confidence, Lord. Give us opportunities today, tomorrow. Maybe even right now you are placing people's names on our hearts and minds. Maybe you're even giving a sense of what we need to be saying, how we can use our words to shape and give life. To build others up according to their needs so that it will be a benefit to them. So, Father God, over this next Christmas season where there's so much, in many ways, superficial celebration, God, help us see how we can, in this season, use our words to encourage others deeply and profoundly. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.